Yeah. And thank you so much for, you know, agreeing to spend time because I would say that, you know, I have been wanting to ask these questions because I have felt this lack of uh, women's representation in STEM career. Mm -hmm. And uh, even more than that, like normally women don't speak as much as men do. And in STEM, first of all, there are lesser women. And top of that, the women who are there in STEM wouldn't want to talk much or wouldn't want to, you know, speak publicly. So combination of all that, I have never found anyone to find answers to all those questions. <laughs> so it's kind of like chicken and egg that, yeah, exactly, right? That it's because there are lesser women, I don't have enough women to talk and that will lead to having lesser women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely... It's, it's a big problem. And I think that personally, I'm a little frustrated by the pace at which improvement should be happening compared to like what's actually happening. And sometimes I think we actually are moving back a little bit. So I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. I feel that way too. I feel that way, not just about STEM, but a lot of other things. And uh, so it is very difficult, you know, it's very difficult to keep up keep up the morale and mm-hmm. keep on pushing and yeah. because uh, you, you are also you know wor- working for a cause and trying to get more women in in stem you mm-hmm. might you might be able to relate to that feeling it's like there are a few days when you feel like why am i doing this is it ever yeah. going to anything <laughs> that was me all last week <laughs> And then, you know, then you realize your responsibility that, you know, oh, if I don't do it, who else would do it? You know, someone needs to do it. And Mm -hmm. that someone is me. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, let's start with, uh, because you have such a wonderful uh, background, I want you to tell about your background. Okay, sure. Um, so I was born in India and I moved to Kenya when I was quite young. So I don't actually remember my first couple years in India. Um, my first memories are growing up in Kenya when I was about three on to, I think about seven years old. Um, so when I was growing up in Kenya, both my parents are engineers by training. Um, and my dad was working with a company where they would put up communication towers in rural villages. So on the weekends, we had this really unique experience, um, where we would get to travel all over Kenya, which is like a very naturally beautiful country. So even though we lived in the city of Nairobi during the week, you get to explore all these like rural areas um, on the weekends, um, see my dad and his colleagues um, put up these towers that would help connect the villages to the rest of um, the world. And I would just kind of hang around and watch them, but also interact with all the the kids in the villages, play soccer. I think that's a pretty universal game, whether you call it soccer or football, Um, have a good time. So those are kind of my first memories. And then uh, we moved back to India in, let's see, I don't remember exactly when it was, but I think I was around seven. Um, And I was there for most of elementary school. pretty uneventful, like normal life, going to school every day kind of thing. But the biggest difference to me was that I also got to spend a lot of time with my grandfather, um, who's also an engineer. And, you know, my mom and dad were both working. So I would come home from school every day and kind of go around the city with my grandpa. And we would talk about like, you know, if something's broken, like how do we fix it? Or if there was a drought, he would like talk to me about like desalination and like why that was an issue and how we fix it. So I kind of instilled in me at a very early age, like here are the three most important people in my life, my mom, my dad, and um, my mom's a chemical engineer, by the way, I should have mentioned. And she had a heat exchanger startup that she was working on when I was young. So with the three of them kind of gave me a very good example of how if you had a STEM training, um, you could use that to build a better community um, for those around you. So they never really like, I would say, I feel like the stereotype is like, oh, this Indian family pushes you towards engineering. I don't think they did that. Um, But I think just by seeing like happy, fulfilled people in their lives, like why wouldn't you want to be like, you know, your role models? 
So, um, and the final, I guess, big leap in my life was that I moved to the U.S. with my parents when I was about uh, almost 10, about nine and a half years old. Um, we first moved to Philly, lived in Iowa, Connecticut, um, where am I? I'm forgetting already. <laughs> Connecticut, New York, Illinois, Massachusetts. <laughs> um, and my dad actually moved around a lot um, in the middle of those things. So we got to see a lot of the country and uh, it was fun. It was a good experience. I think, you know, I attended more than 10 schools by the time I graduated with my degrees um, and, you know, skipped grades, repeated grades, kind of all over the place, but it really taught me how to adapt to changing environments very quickly. That's, I, uh, I, I, I knew that about your background. And first of all, what a wonderful childhood to have. <laughs> I, I think mean, so. I mean, yeah. I, you know, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, you know, sometimes when I was little, I would get frustrated, like not with my parents, but just in general, I would be like, oh no, like we have to move again. Like, I'm so sad. I'm leaving all my friends. Um, I have to start over. And in a sense, like that was difficult and it was hard. And I don't want to say that it wasn't. Um, but I think when you're older and you have the perspective, you see that it's such a unique way to grow up. Like, yes, I had to leave some friends behind, but I know I still keep in touch with a lot of those people. And I got to meet a lot more people because I moved so much. Um, and it also, I think, taught me how to understand and be compassionate towards people who were very different from myself. And I think as an adult, it has made me a, a better person. So I'm very grateful for it now, even if at the time, maybe sometimes I complained about it. I know, you know, see the things uh, like, you know, being able to step out of your comfort zone or things like being adaptive, all those things, a lot of adults have to learn those things really hard way. Mm -hmm. And it is very, you know, although these things were frustrating for you because you had to go through them at a really, really young age. Mm -hmm. Sure, you know, it's, you know, something that's frustrating for adults. I'm sure it must be tough for children too. Yeah. And yet, because you did it at such a, such a young age, now it's just easy for you. It's just yeah. easy for you. And also I have seen, you know, people like you, people, you know, who grew up in third culture, uh, who they are usually the ones who value people way more than people like me who grew up in one place. So they also they put in much more effort than mm -hmm. rest of the world into relationships and keeping in touch. Because I was just talking to another friend whom I uh, uh, whom I you know kind of interviewed, and we were talking about she was also talking about the same things like that is her constant. Like, you know, because she did not grow up in one place, she doesn't have her friends in one place. Wherever she went, she has friends in every place. So it's a habit to keep in touch with people, build relationships and nurture those relationships. And I no, especially valid during a pandemic, I think. My, my powers of long distance communication are finally coming into play. Yes, and the rest of us have to learn it now. Mm -hmm. So you are way ahead of the curve. So I'm going to go to the question that, you know, I really, really have been dying to ask you is, is uh, why are there, why are there not enough women in STEM? <laughs> that is such a big question. Um, but I think it's really important to ask because it can be very easy to respond to that kind of thing with like, that's just the world. There's a million things people, you know, hate women being successful. Like you can have a million different um, reasons. Um, and I'm not sure if you can ever boil it down to one or two, but I think the way I think about this question um, is thinking about people like me, um, you know, what were the factors that kept me in STEM? Um, and what were the things that if they hadn't existed um, would have driven me away from my career? Um, so, the way I like to think about it is a, in a framework is to have a woman in the STEM career, you need to recruit, retain, and promote her. 
So recruit is the stuff that happens at a fairly young age, right? So it's like, are you showing them examples of women in science, showing them that they can be a scientist, showing them that that's something that they can aspire to. And that involves things like seeing my mom um, as a successful chemical engineer and somebody who knew a lot about science and math, um, but also seeing my dad and my grandfather valuing her as an expert in her field um, and coming to her and asking her questions. Like if something was broken and they couldn't fix it, they thought, you know, oh, let's go ask her. And so I saw kind of both aspects of that. So for me, I don't know that I saw, you know, too many examples of women in science or men valuing women in science in pop culture or media um, or even outside of the home. But I was very lucky that I saw it in the home. And so that was kind of, I think, the thing that recruited me. And so I think when we think about, well, I'll come back to how we can drive this into uh, uh, help other people. But the second part is the, the retention part. So retain is how do we keep people in programs, right? So these are things like I get to college and I'm a mechanical engineering major, I'm 16 years old and I'm shy and I'm surrounded by, you know, you know, classes of like 99 teenage boys and me, and it's uncomfortable and awkward and I hate it. So like, how do you make that person stay in class? Um, and there's a few different ways that, that, you know, are appropriate for different people. I think for me, part of it was the science itself and part of it was the community that I was able to find. So in terms of the science, I was lucky enough to get pulled into the field of biomedical engineering and had professors show me that I could design medical implants that could you know, help people lead healthier lives. And I was like, great, like now I have a purpose of, even if I'm learning some tensor calculus or something really dry in class, I'm working towards something bigger that I think will have an impact on the world. So that motivation keeps you going, keeps you coming to class every day, but it is very hard to do things alone. So I think um, the other part of that retention process for me were programs like, you know, the Society of Women Engineers or um, women's programs within the mechanical engineering department, or even, you know, male uh, students in my major who are like, oh, she gets really good grades, asking me to be in their group, asking me to study with them, um, because they thought that I, I was somebody that would provide value to the team. So I would say those are kind of the things that kept me. And when you don't have those, when you don't have the motivation and the community, that's another place where you lose people. And the final place where you lose people and you don't have enough women in STEM is in promotion. And I think this is the part of my career um, I'm in right now and, and probably will be for the rest of my career, which is that I have a PhD. I have the pinnacle degree that I'm supposed to have to do you know, medical device research. And that's what I say I want to do. Um, so technically it should all be golden from here. But what you don't realize until you get to this stage of your career is that at this point, it's very political, right? So like your advancement, um, your promotion, any awards you win, places you're nominated to speak, every way that you build up your esteem um, and your, uh, I guess, prestige as an expert in your field is by other people recognizing you as an expert in your field. Um, and those people who are the ones nominating or inviting people to speak at events, they are all still predominantly men, right? Because they're the people who are already at the advanced stage of their career. And so I've been very lucky that I have a few, um, quite a few actually, male mentors who have gone out of their way to nominate me for things or when they're too busy to speak at an event, put me up on the podium instead. And so that kind of promotion um, are the things keeping me uh, in STEM right now and pushing me forward. But you know, I have seen examples where I don't get that from certain mentors and I've seen examples of friends who don't get that from any mentors. Um, and they see, they feel incredibly disheartened because they've gotten to this point in their career where they've done everything they can do and now that external recognition isn't happening based on like conscious or unconscious bias. Um, and it's really hard to proceed. And you'll see male peers 
um, who are similarly or less successful based on quantitative metrics seem to surpass you uh, once you get to this promotion stage. And I think that's where you lose a lot of women. So very long-winded answer, <laughs> um, but I think that that's the way I would think about it. We don't recruit women, we don't retain women, we don't promote women, and that's why there aren't enough women in STEM. <laughs> It was very, it was a very complete answer. I'm glad. Thank you for that. Thank you, thank you for that. And, and I could, you know, I could see different stages and, uh, and also you told it beautifully. Like, you know, like as a marketer, if I were to look at, you know, the example of how well the story or this example was told, it's, it, it was just so beautiful like you had a framework you had a story you had you had a structure i mean everything that something needs to be it it had it and uh, so i am very interested in in obviously you know you don't need to answer this right now but this is something i'm personally interested in which is the recruit stage that you talked about yeah i want to know one is i obviously know through wisdom you are trying to make a difference in recruit stage, or I'm sure you must, must be making a difference in uh, retain and promotion also. But if there is specifically anything that we can do through empowered women, let me know. And uh, I, would, I would love to do that. And, uh, and coming to uh, in, in promotion stage, Something that really stood out to me was you specifying, you know, the male colleagues are who are quantitatively, quantitatively who are not at par with you, you see them surpassing you. Yeah. Which is a, an important distinction to make because many a times when we say that that person is not even better than me, it is taken as we are speaking emotionally yeah and you gave me a language you gave me a language to define something thank you for that also so i want to you know going back to me asking you first of all i asked you why there are so few women the second question i would ask is is you know there are so many careers for women like there are so many you know i'm sure there must be career i don't know i'm just mm -hmm. asking you know it's a hypothetical so many careers for women why why should women be interested in stem career does it make a difference if they're there or they're not yeah um i think that's a great uh it's a fantastic question and again i would think about it from two different perspectives um i think it matters to all of us like as a society in our world um, but it also matters to individual women so maybe people will care about only one aspect of this or both aspects of this um, but i think there are two so from the broader world perspective um, i think we live in very challenging technical times in that our population is going to reach i think 10 billion um, by 2050 i want to say don't quote me on that number but it's it's a lot um, and that means, you know, more medicines, more food, more clean water, more energy um, with the same amount of resources. And that should scare you a little bit because it means that we need a lot of innovation to get to a point where all of these people can lead the kind of quality of life that we would hope um, to extend to every human being. So from a world perspective, I think that the rate of innovation just, it needs to speed up in order for us to match the demands of where we're going to be in a few decades, you know. And so far we've seen over, you know, the past few hundred years, our quality of life has improved tremendously because of science. Everything from, you know, vaccines to you know, lights <laughs> to, you know, heating that keeps us warm. I mean, there's so many things, communications technologies, obviously, things that have made our lives better. And that was with just men and for the most part, just rich men working on it, right? Like they're, they're great scientists that invented all these things, but if we had had more people working on it, where would we be right now? Um, 
And so I think from a world perspective, that's why we should just get more people to pursue STEM careers to begin with, because I want to be, you know, in the place that we see in a lot of like cool sci-fi movies with stuff happening really easily and all of us being cured of everything. Like I would love that. And if we can accelerate our pace to getting there, um, we should try to do that. And then from an individual perspective, because I think it's important, of course, to care about your society, but it's also okay to care about yourself and, you know, what happens to you. Um, STEM careers, I think, are just incredibly adaptable. Um, when you get a STEM degree, yes, you are qualified to go and build things or solve problems with technical challenges. And even if, you know, the environment changes, um, you can adapt. There are plenty of engineers that were trained way before the dot-com boom that still have relevant STEM careers today because they have the skill set to like understand the basic scientific principles and adapt to new skill sets surrounding that. So from a sense of like keeping yourself employed and providing for yourself and your family, I think it's very versatile that way. Um, and not just in STEM, right? Like if you look, you go talk to a bunch of people in like banking, finance, like venture capital investment, they love people um, from STEM backgrounds or analytical backgrounds because they know that, you know, you've been taught this very quantitative and logic driven way of thinking and they want to bring that into their world. So, you know, pursuing a career in STEM doesn't have to mean wearing a lab coat and pipetting. That's what I do and I love it. Um, but it doesn't have to be. So you can shape it however you want. Um, and you can find a way to provide for yourself and make the world better while you're doing it. And I am a total believer in, you know, if we are able to break this industrial silos or, mm -hmm. you know, professional silos, if we are able to work with each other, understand each other. And if there is a gender mix, more diversity we have, the diversity mm -hmm. that you had growing up in your life made you a better person than what you could have been. It works for the community, it works for the nation also. Like more mm -hmm. people of different professional backgrounds work together in different places. There, is, there are different ways of thinking. Like you, mm -hmm. know, you mentioned banking, if there are more people of, available, first of all, you know, banks would love to have them, but if there were more people available of STEM, back, STEM background to work in banking, it would just work better than what it is working right now. So. Yeah, for sure. No, that's a great point. I think a lot of people have done studies to show that, you know, more diverse groups create uh, more innovative or creative ideas quickly. Um, and that's a, another great uh, aspect of that as well. When you add more women, it's not just like a linear increase, but I think you can have like a exponential increase in productivity and creativity. Yeah, sounds sounds like a lucrative and uh, you know like nicely climbing up kind of stable, nice career. I think stable right now is the keyword. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and however, I would you know let's talk about the emotional side of it, mm -hmm. emotional side, and uh, it could get lonely though. Like you know what you mentioned earlier in when we started talking about you know being only woman in a class of 99 other boys mm -hmm. and I have been there I have been there I went to engineering school for a month I obviously had other reasons I really didn't want to study engineering that was another part of it I really wanted to study architecture and that's where I went but other than that like there was nothing which held me back or you know that you know like friends you make or sense of belonging you start feeling the excitement of learning something new that I didn't have there and to build any career anything it takes a village mm -hmm. and as I can see in STEM it can get lonely it can get lonely it can get emotionally exhausting so how do you think someone should deal with it and where do you bring that village from? Yeah, and thank you so much for asking that question because I think that the narrative sometimes, a lot of times of like, oh, you're a strong person, you're an independent person, is that you don't need a support community. Like you can be the only one, like I've watched in movies so many times where somebody just goes in and they 
do everything by themselves, even though everyone's against them. And then they come out on top and then they're like, aha, I've done it. Um, but that's not obviously what it feels like for anyone going through that process. Like human beings are social creatures. And of course, if you walk in anywhere and you're the only person that looks like you, um, whether people treat you differently or not, you perceive them as seeing you as different. It makes you uncomfortable and you can't be your best self. And it is incredibly lonely, especially when you are a teenage girl, which is when it happens to a lot of girls that are going into science. Um, that's when they're making the transition into taking more technical classes, right? And like, that's when you're the most vulnerable in a lot of ways and the most self-conscious. So of course you got lonely and thank you for <laughs> acknowledging that you did. And it doesn't make you a weak person. It just makes you a normal person. Um, and I think for me, um, in a weird way, uh, my upbringing was a big reason why I didn't quit at that early stage, even when I didn't have a community, because that was not the first time I had been in a room where people didn't look like me, right? Like when I was in Kenya, we would, you know, go to all of these villages. None of those kids had ever seen anyone who wasn't Kenyan before. So they would like yank at my hair and like pull at it and be like, is this even hair? Like it doesn't look right. And then when I moved back to India, people would like I had a very thick Kenyan accent because that's where I learned how to speak English. People make fun of my accent all the time being like, oh, like, are you from Africa? Like, do you live in a village? Um, and then when I moved here, obviously, you know, I spent all those years like working on an Indian accent to perfect it. So people would finally stop making fun of my Kenyan accent. You can imagine, I can see you like laughing right now. That, that did not do me any favors in Iowa, right? So um, I was very used to being the only person of, you know, either my skin color, my accent, my hair type um, in an environment. And I knew that eventually people come around um, for the most part. I mean, I, I don't try to mean seem all like hippy dippy and positive, but I genuinely believe that most people are good. And if you give them a chance to get used to something that they're kind of uncomfortable with at first, even if they're kind of mean to you at first, most people come around, most people, will say, that's a decent human being. I'm kind of familiar with them now and I'm okay with it. So I had had that experience so many times before that I was able to power through that moment. If I hadn't had that experience, I don't know that I would have. Um, and so because we can't expect every girl to be carted around continents <laughs> in order to prepare her for a STEM career, um, you're right that you need to create that village. and. I think the important part of the village is you, you, diversity is key there too. The instinct I think for a lot of people is to go find other people exactly like them in the same situation and then be like, ah, I'm freaking out. And they're like, ah, I'm freaking out too. And like that, that, that can be helpful, <laughs> but it's not entirely productive, right? Because generally when you're at your most low, the person who is most like you is also at their lowest point. So you're not really going to be able to help each other too much other than just providing kind of like pat on the back support. So why that diversity is important is you're say, you know, a freshman girl um, struggling in like a computer science class in college, right? So like, it's good to have other freshman girls. Uh, it's good to get to know some senior girls who have already taken that class and, you know, found a passion through it, done an internship and they're doing something else. It's good to have women at later stages in their career who are like, well, back in my day, it used to be like this, but like, I'm so glad I did it because I, you know, love this career that I'm in. Um, it's really important, again, like I mentioned, to have male allies and mentors. So people, um, men in your class who want to work with you, male professors who are encouraging you to move forward. Um, and then I think the two things that people don't often think about are women in other fields, like it's not like we're only underrepresented in STEM, right? We're underrepresented in business and a lot of C-suite executive positions at companies. There, there are other places where the actual day-to-day -day work might be different, but the same challenges they're going through um, apply. So you can always expand your network that way, even if you can't find another woman in a CS class, um, you can find somebody else that's still going through the same problem. And the last category I think is to expand your village to include uh, girls who are younger than you. Um, because you think, I think, even at a pretty early stage in your career, you're already a role model for 
a lot of people who haven't seen a freshman who's going to do computer science. So there might be a seven-year-old that thinks you're really awesome and amazing and brave. Um, and I think it's important to remember that because it makes you feel like, oh, I've already made it this far and I've already succeeded. Um, so going forward is great, but you should also feel really good about where you are. I am, you know, you have uh, the framework that you shared with me in the beginning of recruit, retain and promote. It has been like, you embossed it on my head. And everything that you are saying, I am putting it in categories. Mm -hmm. Like, even when you even when you explained like how to create a village for yourself and village for others, you actually went through in different times, but you actually went through all those three stages. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and most, mo like, and while you were talking, I could relate it to myself. Like when, when I went to engineering school, I wasn't prepared with that adaptiveness. Then, you know, I went to architecture school, fast forward, you know, few years after graduating from architecture school, I was working at, uh, you know, real estate funds where everyone other than me were men and mm -hmm. at that point i wasn't uncomfortable working with them or i was feeling lonely like because when i went to architecture school i got to travel a lot i got to meet with a lot of people i got to talk to a lot of strangers and i grew up as a person so for me it was created because of my studies but maybe if there are parents listening to this or if any parents ever listen to this conversation they should you know they should try to create it for their girls mm -hmm. they should try to create that diversity for their girls is what i would say something you know they don't need to you know forcibly travel to different countries but but we are connected now they should they should intentionally introduce uh, and expose women to uh, girls to different cultures, different foods, different music, different art, everything that they could and create that adaptability, build in that adaptability that will prepare them for STEM career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point. I remember one time I, you know, was talking about similar things to somebody um, and he was like, oh, you should start a society called like hardships for young children or something. Cause I, he thought that I was saying that like children should have like a tough life like I did. And that's how they'll become strong and adaptable. Um, but I like the way that you're thinking about it more, I think in the sense of sort of targeted discomfort, maybe low dose discomfort, um, something where you realize that your life and way of being is not the only way. Um, I think that can be very helpful for a lot of young minds. Yeah, and then, then, then they won't even, you know, imagine a generation that won't even consider this as stepping outside their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. That is yeah. their comfort zone. Yeah. That will be their comfort zone. Okay. Uh, how do you do, like, I, I want to know about more about wisdom. Mm -hmm. Like, how, obviously, I know what you do at wisdom and why. Uh, can you... Oh, obviously, I know it. The other people who would be listening to it wouldn't know about it. So tell them about what is wisdom and why and how you do it. Sure. Um, so, I mean, coming back to the framework, since that seems to be an effective um, storytelling tool, um, I would say that wisdom for me, the way I think about it, um, actually falls within the promote bubble. Um, so WISDOM stands for the Innovation in STEM Database at MIT. Um, I forgot women. Women. <laughs> <laughs> wow. WISDOM stands for the Women in Innovation and in STEM Database at MIT. Um, and it is exactly what it sounds like. It's a searchable, curated database of women at MIT um, who have have or are pursuing STEM graduate degrees. So these are usually late stage graduate students, postdocs, technicians, people that are you know, experts already in their field, but still at a very early stage of their career. Um, and each person essentially has a profile. They got their background, their picture, 
um, their technical areas of expertise. So that could be things like I know, you know, biomaterials and microfluidics and precision diagnostics for cancer. Um, and it also includes their, you know, outside of technical skills. So this could be like, I know I'm very knowledgeable about patent law or um, science policy or how government funding of science happens. Um, and all this entire database is very searchable and everyone who's listed in it has a active affiliation with MIT. That's what makes them eligible to join. Um, and the point of the database initially was essentially just sort of like a place to find speakers for events because I was sick of you know, going to events and only seeing men on panels or speakers. And there are a lot of other databases um, that do this at a national and even international level. Uh, but I felt like there was value in having something that was vetted by MIT and, and local to um, the Boston ecosystem. So that was the initial goal. Like, if you're going to tell me, oh, I have this microfluidic symposium of postdocs, but I didn't know any women. Um, I'm like, okay, fine. Like, just search wisdom and you can find like 15. And you can pick whichever one is most, you know, valuable for your things. And so the whole point is I'm not trying to make anybody satisfy a quota. I'm giving them a way to improve the quality of their event uh, by inviting experts in the field um, to provide their unique perspectives. So initially started off as a speaker database at MIT. Um, it was acquired recently by MIT's innovation initiative. Um, so it's run by um, MIT as an institution right now. It's got a great team working on it, making the website a lot snazzier. Um, but they've also developed it as more than a speaker database. So it's a way for um, people to find co-founders for companies, um, if they're looking for expert consultants for their startups, if they're looking for people to sit on advisory boards for uh, companies or startups. You know, these. this is the next generation of women in STEM in the Boston ecosystem and beyond. Um, so that's kind of the, the goal of Wisdom, where it's at right now. Um, our big goal right now is to expand membership uh, within MIT and get more people using it actively. So that's kind of where I hope you and, and other people listening come in. Um, Wisdom essentially has two users, right? Like there's the people who sign up to be on it, um, and then there's the people who search it uh, for women, for female experts in STEM. Um, and so that user type two is also very important because every time, you know, you're hosting a podcast or thinking about, you know, having a panel um, or starting a seminar series, I would encourage you and other people who are listening to search uh, wisdom and find out, um, you know, somebody who's local, whether you see them in person or not, you'll know that they're local. Um, you'll know that they're vetted by MIT. Um, you'll have samples of links or websites that talk about their work and samples of them talking online. Um, and you'll be able to find somebody great. Thank you. And first of all, thank you for founding Wisdom. You nicely forgot to tell everyone that it's your baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, it has been, you know, it has like class for last one or two years, even before I started Empower Women, I have been trying to encourage my men friends and colleagues and anyone actually that I know. And even when I see like over enthusiastic person, if I see a panel where there are, even if I don't know those people, and if I see their panel, being advertised or marketed and I, if I see all men on that panel I write a message to them I write mm -hmm. a message to them and I tell them that they should have women and these are the sources that they can find women speakers at mm -hmm. and oh, I have nothing right. to do with their source those <laughs> sources and I have nothing to do with those panels but I know that that is what makes a difference mm -hmm. like it's a very big part of recruit because if they see more women in those careers, then the girls are going to go after those careers. If they can see it, they can do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's such a great idea to talk to people who are organizing events when you do see something like that, not with the intention of like calling somebody out or being like, you know, you're terrible or I'm canceling you, but just being like, hey, you probably didn't even think about this because 
for a lot of us, and this is not just true of men, by the way, I should mention that unconscious bias against women um, exists pretty uniformly in men and women. So a lot of us, even women, when we think about who is an expert in the field, will name a man. Um, and so I think it's really just like a kind thing to do. If you feel comfortable, you can reach out and be like, hey, like, I think it would be really nice. I don't know, maybe you tried to get some women and they weren't available. Um, but it would be really great if we could have, you know, a broader diversity of um, identities represented on the panel. And most of the time, I think people are really open to it. And it's either they did ask a bunch of women and they just couldn't make it. And sometimes that happens. Um, or it's like, they were like, oh my gosh, I just thought of the first five people. Um, and now I know that I have this sort of, you know, unconscious bias in my head. Um, I can fix it this time. And I can also, they're more likely, I think, to remember it the next time they schedule an event. So that's a really big part of wisdom too, is it relies again on sort of the inherent goodness of people and their want to be fair. People use it because they're interested in increasing the representation of women and because they're interested in highlighting and promoting women in STEM. So uh, it only works if people want it to work. And I think most people do. And you know, I, I, would, I would also say that part of responsibility is also on women, which mm -hmm. is, uh, that brings me to working on your leadership brand or personal brand. And uh, I have seen this. I have a lot of scientists and engineer friends, obviously, because, you know, being in Boston and being Indian. Yeah. Is, you know, it's unavoidable. <laughs> yeah. And all of them, I, I, I don't know many of them who, you know, maybe few of them who have become startup founders, maybe those, they work on their personal brand or leadership brand, but they cringe at the word of personal branding or, and I see you doing a really good, you know, because you, you are doing so many things and you are involved in so many things so it would be extremely difficult for someone to understand what mm -hmm. is it exactly that you do yeah however when i see your online persona your online presence i get it i get it i get it so that's why i think you're doing such a great job at it so my questions obviously there was a compliment there if Thank you, you. notice it which is you know great work and another thing is the question is, you know, one is why that cringing at personal branding or leadership branding? Mm -hmm. And two is what can change it? Because wisdom is, or, you know, asking other people to get women on panel and speaking uh, engagements is one part of it. And 50% lies on women to show that they exist and show that they are the experts. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, you know, it's such a touchy topic for so many people. And I think cringe is the perfect way to explain it. Like anytime, you know, I think there was a wave of times when people were like, oh my gosh, like people should have brands maybe like five or 10 years ago. Like that started being a new thought. And then immediately there's this like big backlash and like cringe response where you're like, oh my gosh, that's so tacky. That's too much. Like there's too much self-promotion. Um, I don't want to deal with it. And I think that that's so unfortunate because the reason we need personal branding is because we don't live in a perfect ideal world that is tailored to us. Right. So like one unconscious bias exists. So unless you tell people like, hi, I'm here. I won an award. Here's my new paper. Look how great everything is. I love science. Have I mentioned? Um, you keep reminding them, then they'll remember, right? Like you, if they're not going to go out of their way to be like, who's an up and coming, like young women in STEM, like working on biomaterials research, like you do the work to put yourself out there, say what you've done, document your successes, and don't rely on other people to go diving through, you know, 10 Google search pages trying to figure out like why you are worthy. No one is going to advocate for you that much, right? Like your mom might, and my mom would, <laughs> and so would my dad, but like the average person on the street is not going to put that much effort into me. And I get it because they have their own life. And they're putting that effort into themselves. Um, and so I think that's the reason why I would say that you need personal branding. It's not this 
horrible thing where you're trying to bring down other people. In fact, it's a thing where you're trying to, you know, bring yourself up. You're trying to hustle, but you're doing it by making it easier for other people to know who you are, what you're interested in, what you've accomplished, um, and where you're going. And I think that that's, you know, a good thing. I, a lot of things that you learn, I think, as a woman, as an immigrant, as a person of color, um, is that you have to work really hard, right, to, to get where you are. Um, and people aren't going to go out of their way to do you favors. So what's wrong with looking out for yourself? I think you should do that. Yeah, yeah. Perfectly said. And, and, and I would, you know, uh, I would even say that people had simpler careers, like people when they did not, you know, if you are saying that, you know, oh, XYZ, who is so, so very successful, never had to promote themselves or never had to do any work on their leadership branding. Maybe they were just, you know, like simpler career, like lawyer or a doctor, which mm -hmm. is there not much to explain, but a lot of us many of us have complicated careers, newer careers, and, and so many sides to them, like mm -hmm. yours. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And I, I forgot to mention that. And I think it's really, I'm glad you brought it up. Um, you'll see, I think I've gotten a lot of pushback. I think some of the cringe that you get with personal branding um, is because women who do it are often um, getting pushback from male peers for doing it. I have actively had people either to my face or like kind of behind my back but like a wall away so i can still hear them you know make fun of my website or videos that i post or being like oh like here's like you know two she's the master of like making herself seem great i mean people say this stuff all the time and their whole thing right these um men that say all this stuff is like i feel that if i'm good and i work hard and i'm successful then I will automatically be recognized um, and be successful. And I'm like, and maybe that is true for you, right? Because that was true for a lot of men for a lot of times because um, there were fewer people in the field, like you were saying, there were more linear trajectories, but also men were more willing and comfortable recognizing other men as experts in their fields. And so they were nominating the people who were worthy. I'm not saying the people who won the awards didn't deserve them, I'm just saying it's harder to find those people right now just because there's so many of us and we have so many different paths. And sometimes we look very different from the people nominating the awards. So yeah, we have to do a little bit of the extra work um, to get the recognition. But yeah, I mean, it's tough. <laughs> it's tough to hear that kind of pushback and it certainly disheartens me sometimes. And I've certainly spent hours crying about it at different points in my life. But at the end of the day, like, you know, I'm just trying to have a successful career and provide for myself and provide for my family. And if anyone's going to go out of their way to make fun of me for that, I think that's more of a them problem and not a me problem. Thank you for sharing that. And though this is one word I avoid saying, but vulnerability. Yeah. Thank you for, you know, saying that it, how it has affected you in the past and how you mm -hmm. have gotten over it and I also know I, I know that it comes in waves sometimes you feel bad about what someone is saying and sometimes you don't yeah. most of the time you try not to feel bad about it. and it's a lot of hard work yeah it is it is a lot of hard work to to in creating leadership branding is not even about promoting yourself it's just about telling people that you exist and this is who you are mm -hmm. And, uh, and you do a great job at it. I, I am, I really enjoy following you everywhere that I do and reading about things. And although I am having this long conversation with you only for the second time, I feel like I already, I know you really well. Yeah, I think that's a great part about social media. And I should have mentioned it in the building a village role is that because of social media and how much we can form a connection with people, even when we don't speak to them in person all the time, you can build that village fairly easily now, right? Like even if you are the only woman in your class or in your college, even you can go online and find other people who are majoring, you know, there's, I don't know how many billion people there are on earth right now. Like, what is it like seven over seven? Um, there's one other person that matches your experience and they're probably on Twitter or Instagram or something. So you can always find them and build community that way. And 
I'm glad that, um, you know, you and others like you um, vastly outnumber any kind of naysayers um, on these platforms. And I think it's been an overall very positive experience. I, I uh, that is a great piece of advice. And with that, I think, you know, I, I was only aiming for 30 minutes of conversation and we have already talked for like 50 minutes. Uh-oh. <laughs> I absolutely enjoyed talking to you. And I think part of it, part of it comes from following you on LinkedIn and Instagram mm-hmm. and feeling like I was talking to a friend and I wasn't talking to a stranger and already knowing you gave me, give me the right questions to ask, I would say. Yeah, I'm glad. I was going to say like this, I feel like I've done a lot of podcasts and, um, like this is one of the ones that have felt the most conversational, like we were just having tea and I didn't feel like I had to prepare or anything. I definitely, it's surprising to me that we've only met once in person before. So hopefully after the pandemic, we can meet again. Yes, we should. We should. We should. I would really like to be friends with you and, you know, share things with you. And in spite of being having completely different professional background, I could relate to so many of your stories. Mm -hmm. I could relate to so many of your experiences, stories, and there was so much learning into all of it. And I feel like I'm much smarter than I was an hour back. (laughs) I'm glad. Thank you for making me feel smart. I really appreciate that. (laughs) Thank you for your time, Ritu. And before I let you go, I want to give you I want to invite you for something, which is we are planning to have uh, Empowered Women Live. Mm -hmm. So instead of just you and me talking, we will have people who could, you know, who could join us and comment live. And uh, I am thinking that, you know, if I'm able to do it with, uh, uh, I'm planning to do one every first Wednesday of the month. Mm -hmm. So one of the Wednesdays, if I could get you and I could, I have good relationship with Thai, which is Thai, Thai young entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if I could get high school girls to listen to you, it's my dream. So, you know, well, if, I love talking to them. So that's my dream. <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. I would love to, to participate. I think, you know, people always talk about like outreach activities or something as like a chore or like a service activity that you do. But whenever you talk, you know, I, I have, you know, mentoring calls with a high school girl pretty much every week this summer. Um, that's like the best conversation I have, you know, cause like one, it makes me feel smart cause I know the answers to her questions. Um, but two, it's just like, they're so energetic and young and it makes you hopeful for the future. And, you know, this sounds like a great um, initiative and I'd love to I'd love to participate. Yeah, and 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 it it would be it would be. Uh, let's see. I will send you dates of every first Wednesday for next twelve months. Okay. Whichever Wednesday you are free, we okay. can we can talk, and I will then you know see because I would love for you to talk to uh, many high school students so that just so that they can see what's mm-hmm. being in STEM looks like. Yeah. And, you know, just if they can see it, they will be able to, you know, and you're very inspiring. You're very inspiring. And I'm sure, you know, if they see you, they would want to do it. I'm glad. All right. I will do my best. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So that's, that's it. Thanks again for being here. And I hope to uh, take care and I hope to talk to you really soon. Yeah, me too. Awesome. Stay safe. You too.